everybody. Okay, let's, um, let's go straight into the text. I'm excited for us to look at this text and uh, unpack what the Lord has for us this morning because I read the Bible a lot, I feel like. But sometimes when you really prepare a message, I think really it is a blessing to be a pastor. When you really just shut the door and you read the text for as what it is, you, God really begins to speak to you in, in a ways that the text never really spoke to you before. So I think it's that given time that you give to yourself, that you give to God, that allowing God to, to speak to you, it does something amazing. Because I've read this text so many times, but yet there were so many more things this time around that I experienced than, let's say, when I spoke spoke those words 10 years ago, uh, or when I looked at this text even a couple weeks ago. So let's turn to Matthew 26, if you have your Bible, 6 through 13, and should it, yes, and I'm going to, let's read along. Matthew 26, 6 through 13, it says, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will always, you will not always have me. Then she poured this perfume on his body. She did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The story of Mary is written in the book of not just in Matthew that we just read. It's also written in the book of Mark as well as in John. Matthew and Mark, very similar story. This woman walks in, takes an alabaster jar, and she pours that very expensive perfume on Jesus' head. But I want to bring Book of John into this picture and to have to get a better understanding of what's really going on. Who is this woman? And when you look at Book of John, it's the same story, just written differently. Because every author, John, Matthew, and Mark, they have a different slant to the story. So John identifies who this woman is, and she is Mary. And back then, people named their daughters Mary. But you could only tell who this Mary is. And it says, Simon the leper. She was a woman from Simon the leper, known as Nazareth. And if you know your Bible, Nazareth is the man that Jesus raises from the dead. Mary was his sister. 
In the book of John, he identifies this woman, who she is, as Mary. And this Mary brings an alabaster jar, just like Matt, just like Matt, at the count of Matthew and Mark. She brings the jar, but she pours it not on his head, but it says also his, his feet, Jesus' feet. And it doesn't stop there. She wipes his feet with her hair. Who is this Mary? Like I said, she's a sister of Nazareth. Jesus had just raised Nazareth from dead two days ago. So out of gratitude and out of this feeling of like, oh my goodness, my, my brother was raised from, from the dead by this, by this man. I think he's God. He says, come, Jesus, have dinner with us. So Jesus and his disciples, they go and have dinner over in Mary's house. Now, a little bit more about who Mary is. Mary, Nazareth, and Martha, they were brothers and sisters. I don't know what birth order they were. But Jesus made very frequent visits to Mary's house. And this is not the first time that he's visited. Probably multi multiple times. So he's very excited to go. Right? And Mary was the one when Jesus came and entered into their homes. She wasn't the one busy cooking in the kitchen. And those are important things. But Mary was the one who reclined right by Jesus' feet. And she would just gaze at Jesus. Admired him. And this is, I don't want to say this is, don't think of this in any, you know, romantic way. Really, she just admired him. She loved Jesus. So here comes Jesus and his disciples walking you know, with their sandals on. And I wore these sandals today to kind of depict what kind of sandals what Jesus' days might have worn. Kind of like this, but probably worn down. But just imagine wearing your flip-flops. Those back in the day, they didn't have nice sidewalks like we did. I mean, I want to bring attention to what your feet looked like back then. Walking hundreds of miles to get water, to go to your friend's house. Your feet was the dirtiest part of your feet back then. It wasn't something that you showed, you know, proudly. I mean, it was not just dirty. It was probably full of callus. You know, you know how a woman, we like to go and get pedicures because we get those dry, dry you know, heels. I mean, it was kind of like, probably like that everywhere around your feet. So the custom in Jesus' day was that when you entered into someone's home or even your own home, you wash your feet. Kind of like why we wash our hands, you know? You had to wash your feet. So it wasn't something that you really kind of showed, you know, proudly. It was kind of thing like, we're like, you know, it's kind of, we have to keep it clean, just show it out of respect. So the first thing Jesus goes into Mary's house, he does, is to wash his feet. And then he reclines, expecting a nice, warm meal, probably, and saying, you know, I love being with Mary and Martha and Nazareth, whom I just raised from the dead. And then... Out of nowhere comes Mary with this jar, alabaster jar of perfume. And then she literally, and I'm going to do, focus on account of John right now, pours it on Jesus' feet and starts wiping his feet with her hair. Now, it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to imagine someone doing it, but isn't it kind of 
Hard to imagine that someone sits and allowing somebody to pour perfume on your feet and starts wiping your feet with your hair. I mean, can you picture that? It's, it's not something that we kind of think about these, these days, but a lot of this stuff happened in Jesus, to Jesus. This is not the first time. We're going to focus on Mary. And he just lets her do it. And you begin to wonder, what is this alabaster jar of perfume? So let's rewind a little bit back to Jesus' day. When girls were ready to be married and they reached a certain age, the family would purchase a jar and it would be made out of a very precious stone called alabaster. And what they would do is fill that jar with very expensive perfume, okay? It was worth about, let's say, average of 300 silver, one year's wage. But it could be more, depending on how wealthy and affluent the family is. So on average, 300 silver, but it could be more. So what they do is they fill that jar with very expensive perfume, and when the young man is comes and says, I'd like to marry your daughter. And the family says, okay. And she is willing to, to say, I want to probably, you know, hopefully she had choice back then. What she would do with that jar of perfume is she would go and she would break it. Break it in front of the man that she is going to marry out of honor and out of respect. Now, those who, of you who are not married, we really think about when that will be, and we dream about what that day will come. For a man and for a woman, it's very different. And for those, who, those, those of you who are married, I, I know marriage is a very tough calling. Ones who are married, you're like, yeah, it's so hard, you know? But then you think about those moments, that, the special moments that you've had with your spouse or the, the times when he proposed to you and, you know, it was some amazing proposal. You, you're like, yeah, you know, I could get through this. I could get through this week or I could get through this year with them. It's been hard, but you know what? Those memories... It makes up for the times where I feel like it's really hard. Don't you think Mary had those thoughts too? Don't you think that one day she would take that alabaster jar of perfume and she would one day break it in front of the husband that she wants to marry? Don't you think that back then, that when she's ready to have that dream and make it into a reality, that she, that jar is waiting and she, all she has to do is just take it and break it at his feet? And basically saying, no, yeah, I, you have my heart. I believe she did. Because I don't think people's hearts have changed that much. Our times have changed. But our human heart and our desires have not changed much. So what was she doing? What, what, I mean, isn't she going to get married? What was she, gonna, she took that jar and she just basically wasted on Jesus. I mean, Really? I mean, that's what the disciples are saying. Look with me in verse 9. It says, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. 
The disciples are looking at her and saying, what is she doing? That, 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 that's so, you know, that's so akawa. You know, that's Korean word for a waste. Like, you're, you're like, what are you doing? Like, oh my gosh. Like, that is the, that is the dumbest thing. On earth. That, what? They are so frustrated because they're following Jesus around. And Jesus is saying, take care of the poor. Take care of the poor. Take care of the poor. Like, we will. We will. We will. And then Jesus is reclining and he lets a woman spill a perfume on his feet one year's wage of worth on his body, complete waste. They're not just judging her. They are so angry. The disciples are angry. It's like, what, you know, what a waste. But that's only looking at with our human eyes, isn't it? And disciples always get criticized. And I feel so sorry for the disciples because we look at the disciples and we just pick on them. Like, yeah, disciples, but only with your human eyes. That's what you could see. That heart, very act was so foolish, wasn't it? You just wasted so much money. Because efficient people like us, right? Like, you know, we call ourselves Christian and we're so, we want to be efficient. We want to utilize our time, maximize our time. And we call, we have this phone called iPhone. And we're like, you know, it does everything for us. But yet we don't have time <laughs> at the end of the day to do things. So what Mary does, disciples cannot understand. They say, that's foolishness. But let's look at what Jesus, how Jesus responds. In verse 11, he says, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. You know, Jesus has this way of just responding in a way that doesn't really answer your question, but makes you kind of like, well, what did he just say? Wait, 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 you're dying? Wait, what burial? Like, you never told us you're dying. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you're leaving us? <laughs> Jesus is not saying not to take care of the poor, you guys. But for the first time, Jesus is saying, you're right, you know, I'm really, I'm dying. And I chose this account of Matthew because Matthew puts this story of Mary right before he is betrayed by Judas with 300 silver. This account that Matthew, let me say it again, is just before Judas, his disciple, who betrays Jesus so that he, for $300 worth of silver. And soon after he's betrayed, the soldiers will take him and he will eventually be crucified. So yes, it was for his burial, can you imagine the burden? Can you imagine the loneliness? Can you imagine, like, really, it's, the end is coming. It is really for my burial. I see the end. Can you imagine the loneliness? Can you imagine that he, has, he had to face death 
so that you and I don't have to. He had to face death so that his disciples don't have to. He had to be the one to be the sacrificial lamb to say, I will die for all humanity to end the sin of this world so that you and I don't have to enter into hell. I'm just saying, that's probably what Jesus was saying. I, I, I can't speak for him, but I'm just saying I get a little glimpse of that. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 13 and he says, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout this world, what she has done will also be told. And once again, Jesus, what gospel? You haven't even been crucified yet. What can you imagine the disciples? I kind of feel sorry for the disciples because kind of Jesus is kind of like 10 steps ahead and the disciples are like kind of like this people like that just sit and they're like, what is he talking about? What gospel? Jesus, you're the one who's going to make the gospel, but you're saying what Mary has done is the gospel? Kind of makes you think, right? Kind of makes you think. He's referring to her very act of what she has just done for him, this gospel. Could it be what Mary had just literally had done before Jesus? Could it be the foreshadowing of what Jesus was soon do the next day? Just as Mary poured that perfume on Jesus' head not, and also his feet, ultimately Jesus' blood had to be shed for you and me for all humanity. And just as Mary poured that perfume on his feet, the dirtiest part of our bodies, could it be that the blood that Jesus sheds on the cross will cleanse the dirtiest part of our souls that can never be cleansed by anybody else? Could it be? What Mary has done is a foolish, was very foolish act in the eyes of disciples. And even today, what Jesus has done on the cross, to many, it's very foolish. That's why to follow Jesus, to commit your life over to Christ, there's a battle. Everything is a battle. It's not easy to show up every Sunday like this. It's not easy to pray. It's not easy to commit your life to Christ. Because you know what? In the eyes of the world, the cross, we don't have a cross in here. It looks foolish. People even mock at it. But what Jesus is saying, if you open your eyes, if you just see what I have done for you and me, for you, when your eyes really begin to open, it was not death of a mere man. It really was a death of God who truly loved you and me. That he was willing to give up everything on the cross for you and me. Even before Jesus died, Mary knew that. Isn't it amazing? 
She knew that this man, not just a man, but a God, who would give everything up for her. And the thing is, her response was not to hold anything back. Her response was to give everything in return, because she knew. I want you guys to, can we sit on that for a little bit? She knew, she knew, even before Jesus died on the cross for her, she knew that this was somebody, God, who would give up everything. And out of response to that realization, she was to give, she was willing to give her everything. That Jesus was not someone that, oh, I need that raise, so let me pray, let me pray. Okay, oh, that boy that I like, or that girl that I really like, oh, let me pray, because if I pray really hard, Jesus is going to answer my prayer, and you know, I'm going to have what I want. No, Jesus was not this thing that she used so that her life will be comfortable. Jesus was not someone that she just kind of like, well, you know what? I like having him because you know what? I do good and he rewards me. No. Jesus was actually with somebody that even if she were to be married someday and give her heart to somebody else, that, that man cannot fulfill her the deepest dreams because she only knew that Jesus could fulfill that dream. Nothing. She knew the moment when she saw Jesus that there was nothing, that even if she, she were to meet that man, that there's no way, there's nobody on this earth could really fulfill her deepest longing and her desire. But, I mean, people who are married, we already know that, right? <laughs> she knew that. Do we know that? And do we have this kind of devotion? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. When I was really preparing for this message, I was challenged myself. Do I have this kind of devotion? And it's so hard to, ha to have this kind of devotion because we're so comfortable in this. We live in suburbia where everything is just kind of given to us. And I look at my kids and I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm like... It's hard when you're comfortable to see this kind of devotion being played out. Do you have this kind of devotion? Do we have this kind of devotion? And I want to share something, a little personal testimony. When I graduated from college, um, I moved up to New York for two years to work for a nonprofit mission organization called YRAM. And for two years after college, I was full of zeal. I mean, of course, my mom chopping me off in New York in a very run-down building. I'm sure she cried herself to sleep, um, putting me through college uh, with, you know, hard-earned money, you know. Dropping me off somewhere like that was probably just probably the last thing she really could handle. But she, they have, my dad and my mom has been the biggest supporter of my life, even if, even if it meant a full-time ministry. When I was up there, I felt like I could give my whole life. I felt like I could give my all in all. I felt like if God were to call me to Africa and to be among the poorest and the poorest, I could do it. But then five months into my commitment in New York, I felt emptiness, deep loneliness even. And questions began to flood my mind. Why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? And then, I, and then I felt guilty because I'm like, wait a minute. I, I go out into the city. We, we, help, you know, we help the poor. And then I, you know, I, I'm counseling the, you, the youth and, you know, and, 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 and being for them and, and you know, leading them and you know, make, praying for them. 
And then, you know, I was full of with other young adults where, like, they encouraged me and, you know, peers where I felt like, you know, seeing them serve the Lord encouraged me to do more. But I felt deep sense of loneliness that I could not grasp why. And I think that when I was there, and I'm not discouraging service. We need to serve. We need to take care of the poor. We need to have passion to serve God aside from just coming to church. But I think what God really wanted from me was my heart. Is my heart in the right place? Is your heart that you think that you've given over to me, is it really mine? Hard to believe, right? You would think so because everybody else are like, yeah, Ashley, you know, you, you left your home and you're here for two years. Wow, good job. But really, was, I, was my heart really given over to the Lordship of Christ? Service and doing my service for God and my heart it couldn't be the other way around. My heart had to be given over to the Lordship of Christ before I began to serve him. Or else, what I do for God, what I think I do for God, honestly, will leave us discontent, dissatisfied, discouraged, and pride will set in. And not only that, depression will set in. Because who we're doing it for and why we're doing it for is important to why we do things as Christians. And if our heart is not in it and who we're doing it for is not there, then you know what? We're doing it to serve man, aren't we? If Mary, who was so hospitable, who had gift of hospitality, you don't think she was a woman who went out and served the poor? I believe she was. She was known for hospitality. She was known for a woman who really took care of the poor. You don't think she did all that? But you know what? She did that not because she wanted approval. She did it because out of love and affection for Jesus. And that is the difference. And do we have that? Do we have that kind of devotion for Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? I know many of you guys here in this room. I, we know that he's our savior. We understand that he came down, he died for us. We accept him. But is he your Lord? Is he my Lord? If you are saving that very expensive jar of perfume, and I'm not talking about the value here, but if you are saving that very expensive jar of perfume, in case God does not come through, in case he's not what you really thought he was, and this is not a judgment, he's really not your Lord. He's really not my Lord if I'm still saving that jar, a very expensive perfume. And I'm not talking about the value here, you guys. And the thing is, if he's not your Lord and if he's not my Lord, 
I would never find that true peace and joy that I'm looking for. Because you know what? As you guys could, as you guys know, life is pretty tough. We might have the good comforts of living in suburbia, but you know how Harvey does come, doesn't it? Troubles come our way, and money doesn't fix it. If he's not your Lord, then we are keeping Jesus at a very safe distance and saying, okay, you can stay right here, Jesus, but that's, that's enough. Any closer? No. But if Jesus is really the Lord of your life, and if he really is the Lord of my life, you know what you do? The first sign is you let control. That control has to go if he is the Lord of your life and my life. And only then, really, will you experience the true peace and true joy that you are looking for. And it's not something money can buy. It's not something that we can really conjure up and say, joy, 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 peace, 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 peace. Really not. It really does come when you let go and say, God, I'm going to let go so that you can take control. So there's a big difference. He could be your Savior, but is he your Lord? Don't waste your time too long to control your life because life is so short. And for some of us who have lost our parents early or have lost our parents already, you realize it more. And I realize it more now as I buried my father four months ago that life really is short. You know, I looked at him and I said, he could live for, you know, like good 10 more years, even 15 more years. But you know what? You don't have control over that. Rather, give your hearts over to God and make him your Lord is the best way for us to go forward in our life. Don't wait for a perfect time. If we wait for a perfect time and say, well, life is comfortable right now, then we will never really grasp what I, what, how we want to live our life with Christ. And the invitation is always there. Um, I'd like to invite Bobby up, up um, and lead us into um, just time of prayer. Um, and to those you, of you who have already given your heart over to Christ and say, God, my heart, you, you know you have my heart. My heart has always been with you. And you have already poured that alabaster jar on Jesus' head and to his toes. Don't give up. Don't give up when life gets hard. Don't give up when life gets hard. And honestly, it gets harder. I'm right in the middle of it. I mean, lifespan, I'm 40. 
I feel like I'm right in the middle of, you know. It gets harder. Don't give up. Rather, press in more. Wait in patience until your God comes through. And as always, He does. He always does. He always comes through. You know that? There's never a moment where God has not come through. And when He felt like He didn't come through for me, eventually He does in other ways. I just had to wait a little longer. Can we just bow our heads in prayer? Um, Let's not wait any longer to make him your Lord. And if we can, just ask him, what is in the way of giving him your everything? He will not disappoint you. But I can't promise that. You have to see it for yourself. That's up to you, honestly. Mary knew who Jesus was even before he was crucified. Mary knew who Jesus was even before he was crucified. I'm amazed by that. I'm amazed that she knew who he was. And even before he was, his death on the cross, she knew that his blood would be shed for her. She knew that his blood that he was shed was to cleanse the dirtiest part of our soul that no human being can cleanse. He knew that he had to face death. And Mary knew that his blood would reconcile her to the very God that she's been waiting for eternity. I want to lead you guys to spend some time, however your heart is feeling led to, to go to Jesus and to be honest with him. take us into a new level of of our relationship with you. Lord, we all have accepted you as your Savior, Lord God, and we know that and we recognize that you've died on the cross for us, Lord, but God, help us to realize, Lord God, that we need to make you our Lord of our lives. And if we have not done that, Lord Jesus, would would you lead us? Would you lead us to make that commitment make you the Lord of our lives, Lord God, that we can never, never, never turn back. You gave your everything, and you ask for a lot, for our everything. But Lord, we will never, you will never leave us empty-handed. 
you will always fill that alabaster jar and fill us and you will make it overflow. So God, we will break that alabaster jar and be sacrificed to you, but we know that you would also fill it in return for us, Lord God. So God, we come to you and we ask that wherever we are in our relationship with you, I pray that you would thrust us deeper into a deeper relationship with you that will enable us to live our lives not just seeing you as our Savior, but the Lord of your life, Lord God. The devotion and the worship and the reverence will be a result of making you our Lord, Lord God. May it cause a ripple effect in our lives, in our family, and in this city. And it is a result that you will revive this city through us. And in Jesus' name,